All right, we are in Acts chapter 6. We've been studying the book of Acts. Uh, this week we will deal primarily with verses 1 through 7, and next week we will deal primarily with verses 8 through 15, although I will touch on a couple of verses um, 8 through 15. People is a messy business, isn't it? Families sometimes are messier. But that doesn't happen in Christian circles, right? Christian families aren't messy. I mean, we've left that stuff behind us, correct? It's in the past. <laughs> if that were only true. This passage this morning introduces us to the first internal church mess. The first internal church conflict. In fact, this passage opens the door to a historic debate. A debate that you and I have participated in, even if we have not known it. It's a debate that's gone on for 2,000 years. It's a debate that has caused churches to split, new church groups to form. It is a, it is a messy issue that causes all of us a lot of anxiety. Now, I could just ignore it. We'll just deal with this passage verse by verse and we'll study it, and we won't deal with this debate. But that wouldn't be fun, would it? So we're going to discuss the debate this morning briefly. Because I believe it has a bearing on our study this morning. I believe God wants us to understand His full word. And so this morning we are going to look at it. And so to help us understand this debate, and as an introduction to it, I'm going to start with verse 3 of Acts chapter 6 in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Do you realize how many messy issues are contained just within that verse? If we're to scratch beneath the surface, beneath the surface study church history, there are so many debates in church history that have relevance to that verse. I'm just going to pick out one of them. It says, pick out from among you seven men. So the question is, why seven? That's a good question, right? We should bring questions to God's word. Why seven? Why not six? Why not eight? Maybe seven, because some people say that's God's number, the perfect number. Maybe that's true, I don't know. Maybe it's because the situation in the church needed people to go and serve every day of the week, and maybe they just picked seven men. One man for each day of the week. Maybe it was that simple. Do you know that we have no idea why seven? The Bible does not tell us why seven. However, those of us in church history have been adamant that there was a reason why it was seven. So there was a council meeting, I believe in 314 in the 4th century. And this council met and they required every Christian church to have seven deacons. Not eight. Not six. They had to have seven. Why? Because this verse started the office of deacons and they elected seven people. That same council, they dealt with about 15, 16 issues, that same council 
made a ruling that anyone under the age of 30 was not allowed to be ordained to the ministry. Why? Because Jesus started his ministry when he was 30. Well, that means I'm in trouble because I was ordained when I was 26. So that begs the question, where in the Bible does it specifically say you have to have seven deacons? It doesn't. Where in the Bible does it say that you cannot be ordained if you are under 30 years old? It doesn't. So what's this big debate all about? What is it, this, this area of thinking that kind of gets us all tied up into these issues? Well, I call it the prescriptive or descriptive debate. Is the Bible prescribing something? Or is the Bible simply describing something? Now, I want you to be very, very clear on this. I want to be clear. If the Bible is prescribing something, I will teach it, I will preach it, I will defend it, I will stand on it. If the Bible is simply describing something and not prescribing it, we need to be very careful that we don't impose our prescribing on something that's simply describing. In this passage, I think Luke is simply describing the fact that the apostles selected seven people to do this task. There is no indication to us that this is prescriptive. Now, does God want us to have the book of Acts? Of course, yes. Is the book of Acts inspired scripture? Absolutely. Are there truths in the book of Acts that we can learn and put into practice? Yes, yes, yes. And we have looked at some of them, wonderful truths in the book of Acts. Are there things that described in the book of Acts that's not necessarily prescribed to us? Yes. So we have to approach the book of Acts with, with respect and with care, make sure that we don't impose our interpretation on it. I'll give you a couple of, couple of other examples. The book of Acts describes where the early church had church. They had church in the temple courts. They had church in people's homes. They had church in synagogues. They had church on riverbanks. Do you know that the Bible never tells us to build churches and meet in them? But we do. Are we wrong? Absolutely not. In fact, church buildings only started about 180 to 200 years after Christ walked the earth. The book of Acts describes where the first church met, it does not prescribe it. Do you know that the Bible does not prescribe pews? We'd be in trouble, right? There's a church that I'm familiar with. I've been to it many times. It's in a, another state, a very, very large church, and they had pews throughout the church. One day, the church leaders decide that they're going to pull out the pews, and they're going to put these stackable chairs in them. Dozens and dozens and dozens of people left the church. 
Do you know that the Bible does not require us to use a specific translation of the Bible? When I was a young pastor, there was a man in my church who preferred a certain translation of the Bible, and he tried to persuade me with all kinds of reasons why I should use that translation of the Bible, and I just didn't. I'd sometimes reference it, but, uh, but I didn't use it and on a regular basis. He left the church. Oh, happy days. I'm just kidding. That wasn't, that wasn't us. That wasn't. We bring so many arguments to the church that have no business being in the church. No business at all. And this morning we're going to study Acts chapter 6. The first problem in the church. The first internal problem in the church. So let's start. And so, well, I guess I should mention to you that my main theme here this morning is to challenge you with this thought. Are you a consumer within the church or are you a contributor? So that's the general theme this morning. Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? Let's, let's read Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read the entire chapter and then we'll go verse by verse 1 through 7. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of those who from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So in this passage, we have the first internal conflict, a little messy situation. We have the first election of officers. We have the first creation of a specific grouping of people for a specific ministry. And then this passage leads us into the first Christian martyr of the early church. So let's look at verse 1. 
Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Oh, those Hellenists. We can never satisfy them, can we? They complained because somebody took their parking spot. They complained because they don't like the color of the chairs. They complained because they don't have their favorite brand of coffee in the coffee shop. They Hellenists. <laughs> but I thought that everyone had met their needs. Everyone, everything was doing fine in the church. In fact, if we go back to chapter 4, verse 34 and 35, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as many as any had need. So what's happened? Well, it's possible that one to two years, maybe even three years have passed since Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 6. The church is growing. There's 12 leaders, 12 apostles, and they work in day and night, and they're ministering the word, and they're visiting, and they're taking care of things, and they're doing their best. But realize this, they've never done this before. They don't have a church manual on church government. <laughs> they don't have John Maxwell, a specialist on church leadership. They're trying to figure it out, and they're relying on the Holy Spirit, and they're praying through things. And maybe it's just an innocent oversight that this group of Hellenists were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So who are these Hellenists? Well, there were various kind of language sectors within Jerusalem. There were the Jewish Hebrews, but there were Jewish Greeks and Jewish whatever, and there were these sectors within Jerusalem. And, and, and these Jewish Greeks or these Greek Jews were those who were scattered, some of them generations earlier, maybe with the Babylonian captivity, and, 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 and they were scattered throughout the Middle East region. And when the exile ended and they were allowed to return, some of them didn't. And they stayed where they were. They had been there for 70 plus years. And so they just dug their roots in, but they were Jewish and they lost the Hebrew language. And some of them came back and a few more came back. And eventually there is this community of Greek Jews in Jerusalem. But there's also the Hebrew Jews. And there's this, this I don't think it was a racial issue. At worst, there's probably some social snobbery going on between the Hebrew Jews and the Greek Jews, and there's this tension. And then some of them get saved, and some of the Hebrew Jews get saved, and they come into the church, and the Greek Jews get saved, and they come into the church. And wouldn't it have been nice if they left their mess outside the church, but they brought it with them? And for some reason... We don't know, for some reason, when the apostles set up a feeding program, the Hellenist Hebrews were missed. As I said, it might have been an innocent oversight, but they complain about it. The problem with us, whether we're Hebrew Jews, Greek Jews, Gentiles, 
The problem with human nature is wherever we go, there we are. You understand this, right? Wherever you go, there you are. Whatever mess you have, whatever prejudice you have, whatever issue you have, wherever you go, there you are. So the Hebrew Jews, the Greek Jews, maybe they imported some social issue into the church that the apostles had to deal with. We don't know the exact background, but it was a problem. All right, let's move on in verse 12. And, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples. Now, why 12? Remember, they lost Judas, and they brought in Matthias into the 12. The full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, it's likely that Peter was the primary leader of the New Testament church. And by this time, there's clearly a leadership structure it's possible that there's an inner core of workers, and I don't think that the leaders summoned the whole Christian community. There would have been eight, ten thousand of them and said, okay, you guys pick seven men. No, I think it's an inner core of workers. It might have been 50, 80, 100. We don't know. But they called this group of workers, and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. But aren't we all called to serve? Isn't this kind of haughty of the apostles? We're called to preach and you're called, called to serve tables and we're not going to do what you should be doing? Absolutely not. I think that these leaders, as we all are, would have jumped in hands and feet and got the job done in times of crisis, times of need. But... But what they're recognizing is that they were called to a specific ministry in the church. And that required time and devotion. And they didn't want to get the attention that they needed to give to their calling taken away, lessened, diminished. So they called the church, the leaders of the church, said, let's select somebody that can do this job because we have a focus that we have to give ourselves to. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So what is their duty exactly? Well, it's to distribute food to the Greek widows. That's kind of menial, right? So why would they need qualifications like they have to have a good reputation, full of the Spirit. They have to have wisdom. I mean, they're just going to deliver food to the Greeks. Surely that doesn't require such important qualifications. I actually love this. Because what this tells us is that they were so serious about this ministry. That they were so serious that those who were elected to do this task had to be God-fearing to love the Lord, be filled with the Spirit, have some wisdom about them, have a good rep reputation, because when they go and deliver food to the Greek widows, what are they doing? They're ministering the Word of God. 
even if they're not teaching or preaching per se. The apostles are committed. Doesn't matter what they are, door greeters, nursery workers, worship leaders, ushers. These are the qualifications that they were looking for. Every one of us is called to contribute to the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Every single one of us is called to contribute to the church of Jesus Christ. Every one of us should take these qualifications seriously. People of good reputation, filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom. We'll cover that again next week. Verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now when the apostles say, say, say that, they are not being insensitive to the need to serve tables. They are not. What they're saying is that we have a purpose, a calling, and we need to give ourselves to it. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Now, and I wonder if some of you have named your children some of these names. Prochorus, Nicana, Timon, Arminus, and Nicholas. We have no idea who these guys are. First time that they get mentioned. We don't know who Stephen was before this. These are all Greek names. So it's possible that they chose Greek Christians to go and minister, minister to the Greek widows. That makes sense. Verse 6. These they set before the, the leaders, the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Why? Why did they lay hands on them? They're just going to distribute food. Are you familiar with the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah was called by God about 400 years before Christ to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, Nehemiah was a great leader. And in chapter 13 of that book, uh, Nehemiah got frustrated with the uh, Jews because they were abusing the Sabbath. And he said, I'm going to lay hands on you. That's not the same kind of hands that the apostles are talking about. Okay? They brought these men who were just going to distribute food and they gathered the church together and they laid hands on them, signifying their unity, signifying their commitment to the Lord, signifying their commitment to the Spirit of God, wanting their faith combined, recognizing the importance of what they were doing and prayed over them and then sent them out to do this ministry. Verse 7. Look at the result of this. There was a complaint. The leaders acted. The church was unified. They settled the complaint. And look at the result. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of their disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
What a wonderful result. Do you think the devil wanted that complaint to be resolved so well? Do you think the devil wanted there to be peace and unity in the church? Do you think the devil wanted thousands to come to know the Lord? No. So my challenge to you again this morning is, are you a contributor or are you a consumer? Now there are times when you and I will visit with somebody or they'll come and visit with us and we'll spend 10, 15, 20 minutes with them and when we part company, we feel that we've just been drained. They're negative. They always complain. The cup is always half empty. It's never half full. They always look on the worst side of things and they just consume our energy. Sometimes we'll meet somebody and they're positive and they speak wisdom into our lives and they look for solutions rather than problems and when we part company, we feel like we've been lifted up. They've contributed to our life. When you come to church, do you consume or do you contribute? In wrapping up, I want to give you seven things, just briefly, that contributors do. Okay? Real quick. First of all, contributors are not complainers. I need to be careful here. Because I'm going to say something that before this first service, the elders and pastors did not know I was going to say this. So if you don't like this, blame me, not them. Don't bring your complaints to church. I'm not saying don't raise concerns that you have about the church. If something is wrong, something you're not happy with, call the office on Monday morning. Come and see us, and let's talk about it. But our single focus on Sunday morning is the ministry of God's Word. Regardless of what we're doing, Greeters, coffee shop, ushers, nursery workers, security. Our focus is the ministry of God's word so that we collectively hear from God. And when you come and complain that somebody took your parking spot, it consumes from us. You understand what I'm saying? It takes away from our focus. It drains us of our preparation. Now, I'm not saying that if you've got a burden, don't come and tell us. If you want us to pray with you and love on you, come and tell us anytime, between services, before services, that's fine. But if you've got a complaint or concern about some physical peripheral issue going on in the church, please don't bring that to church. Let's come here and focus on the ministry of God's Word. Amen? Second, Second, we all, as contributors, respect the ministry of God's Word. It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God. We respect that. And we're going to come to church and respect it. Third, contributors are qualified for the ministry. And every one of us are contributors. Any, every, every single one of us ought to be contributors 
through the ministry of God's word. Good reputations, full of the spirit, full of faith, faith, full of grace and power. Fourth, contributors are committed to please God, not man. And the decision of the church leaders pleased the whole gathering. We are not in the people-pleasing business. We are in the business of pleasing God, focusing on Him. Fifth, contributors know Christ. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith in verse 7. This was the same group that plotted against Jesus, the same group that tried to trap Jesus, the same group that was saying to the leaders of the church, stop speaking in Jesus' name. Many of them came to faith in Jesus. Six contributors are in a spiritual battle. There are good things going on in this church. Good things. We had a wonderful ladies' event on Friday night. I wasn't here. My wife was here. She had a wonderful time. There are, there are good things going on in this church, and the devil would want to stop it. And we're in a spiritual battle. And as contributors, we, we will not play into the devil's hand. But we recognize that there's a spiritual battle. And the last point is that contributors are new creations. Verse 14, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Did Jesus change the customs that Moses delivered to us? We heard it this morning as we prepared for this table when Dave read from 1 Corinthians 11 that Jesus has come to deliver to us a new covenant, a new beginning. He's brought to us a new song. He wants to give us a new hope. Yes, the old ritualistic customs of Moses are gone. Why? Because Christ came as the perfect sacrifice. Christ came as the final solution. Christ came so that you would be a contributor to the body of Christ. Are you a new creation this morning? I know this weekend we recognize in the Sanctity of Life weekend. And maybe there's something in your past that's hounding you, that you cannot get over, that God wants to set you free from. Maybe there's something that now going on in your life. There's a habit that you just cannot kick. There's a relationship you know is not healthy. God wants to bring something new into your life. He wants to contribute to you so that you can turn around and contribute to His body. How are you doing this morning? Are you a new creation in Him? Let's pray. Allow the Lord to minister to you. This is about the ministry of the Word of God.
there's an area of your life that you know needs to come under the full control of God. I urge you this morning to surrender it. And maybe this morning you you know that you are not a follower of Jesus. You haven't made that commitment. You're not a new creation. This morning you can pray a simple prayer. Simple prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. I invite you into my life to make me a new creation. We have prayer partners this morning that will minister to you on the front here at the altar on, on the left. If you want to pray alone, you can come and pray at the altar on the right. I encourage you this morning. Make a commitment to the Lord. Lord, I want to contribute to the body of Christ. Show me how. As the worship team leads us, let's stand and respond to the Lord as he leads us. Your praise, our hearts will cry. 
bones will sing contributing in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each family here today. Thank you, Lord, for how they contribute to this church. Just being here this morning and singing and worshiping and listening to the word being taught is a way of contributing to this church. I pray a blessing on each family. And Lord, if there are those this morning that are carrying heavy weights around with them, whether it's past or present, Lord, I pray that you will remind us that your burden is easy and that your load is light. And I pray that you would remind us, Lord, to surrender that to you. Maybe there's some here this morning who need to seek someone out for counsel and prayer them to do that. But go with each family, Lord, I pray. Bless each one and give them a wonderful week in Jesus' name.